0: Amen. Amen. There's no greater joy than gathering with God's people and singing the gospel back to the Lord. Singing to one another and reminding one another of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us in the gospel. Like this is so rich. I'm not sure about you guys, but this is the the highlight of my week in which we get to gather together and make much of Christ together as we sing. You know, God desires for his glory to spread to the ends of the earth. His aim is for all of life to display who he is and what he is like. The power of God, the beauty of God on display before a watching world. That God desires for his glory to spread amongst the four corners of the earth and into every corner of your life, including marriage. The question is, how? How can our marriages display the glory of God? Well, thankfully, God is not silent. He speaks to us with great clarity and with conviction through his word on how we can display the gospel in our marriages and bring him the glory. That is Paul's point in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're in a sermon series right now called Divine Design and we are looking throughout the scriptures to see how the gospel is portrayed and lived out in our marriage relationships. We saw several weeks ago in Genesis chapter 2 where God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman for life. We saw in Hosea the next week, in Hosea chapter 3, where God calls Hosea the prophet to go and marry an unfaithful wife, Gomer, and that their marriage relationship would picture God's faithful love for his unfaithful wife, his people. We saw last week in 2 Timothy chapter 1, where there is a one-sided marriage. Timothy, the pastor of Ephesus, was raised by a mother and grandmother who spiritually poured into him, but his father father, Acts 16.1, was not present. He did not spiritually invest in his son. And we were reminded that mothers and grandmothers can still have impact for the sake of Jesus on future generations, even when a father is not in the picture leading the way that God intended. And you get this morning, we're going to see in Ephesians 5 how marriage glorifies the one who created it. It glorifies the one who defines it and glorifies the one who blesses it. You see, when a husband and wife come together in unison and they together say, You first, the gospel is displayed and God gets the glory. Now, typically in the Apostle Paul's preaching ministry, there were often two responses either a riot, Or a revival. Well, in Acts chapter 19, when Paul comes to Ephesus, both occur. A revival breaks out where many people come to know the Lord. There's a movement of the Holy Spirit where people's lives are changed by the gospel and they trust in Christ. But there's also a riot that breaks out where people are wanting to kill Paul because he is declaring that there is another God that is greater than Artemis and his name is Jesus. And so he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus to remind them of the gospel and then how they're to practically live it out. Chapters one through three, the first half of the book is doctrine, it's theology. The second half of the book, chapters four through six, he's talking about how to practically live out that doctrine. Here's the gospel, and here is how you obey it. And in the last half of chapter five, in the beginning part of chapter six, Paul is talking about submission and what it looks like in different relationships. And he applies it now in this text to the marriage relationship. Now throughout the scriptures, God has made himself abundantly clear that men and women are equal. Both are made by God and for His glory. Both men and women are image bearers before God. Both men and women are priests. We have equal access to God through Jesus but there's also something unique, distinct about each of us, that God made us different from one another. And even within the marriage relationship, we have different roles and responsibilities. You see, God designed marriage to be a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. The Question is how? How are husbands and wives to relate with one another for our marriages to point to Christ? Well, I want you to see first, notice in the text that wives gladly submit to your husbands. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Paul is laying out God's design for wives and how they are to relate with their husbands in the marriage relationship. The command is for wives to submit to your husbands as to the Lord, Now, unfortunately, submission is a curse word in our culture. But the word is rich. It has so much meaning for all of us because ultimately all of us submit to someone, whether it's to a boss, to the government, or to a police officer. All of us are submissive to someone. Well, We need to grab hold of this word. It's so rich and significant. Hear me on this. Submission does not mean inferior. It does not mean, wives, that you are like gum on the bottom of your husband's boots. It does not mean that you are a slave. It does not mean that you are a property. You see, see, submit means to gladly place yourself under the leadership of another. This is what Jesus did. That word for submit in verse 22 is used in Luke 1, I'm sorry, Luke 2 verse 51, where it says that Jesus was submissive to his parents, Joseph and Mary. You see, submission to your husband's leadership is not ultimately about your husband. Look at verse 22. You are submitting as to the Lord. Underline that. Your submission is not based upon your husband's leadership capacity, but upon your joyful obedience to Jesus. You see, you submit to your husband as to the Lord. This is an act of joy-filled obedience to Christ. This is worship, You get to bring glory and honor to your Savior and your King in how you follow this command to submit to your husband as to the Lord. Ultimately, this is for the Lord that this role is for. Now, let's be clear. There are times in which you are not to submit. You do not submit to your husband if he leads you to sin, you do not submit to your husband if he leads you to do something that is immoral, unethical, or unbiblical. No, you, you, you humbly say, no, I can't do that. I can't go that way. Your response is a humble, firm, clear stance saying, I can't go that way. Let's not go that. Let's honor the Lord. Let's go, let's go this way. What are you doing? You are pleading. You are calling your husband to repentance. That sounds a lot like Jesus. And so if your husband is trying to shepherd you away from what God has made clear in his word, and you do not follow, in fact, you call him to go, no, no, let's go the way of Christ. Now hear me. If your husband is harming you, do not grin and bear it. Pick up the phone and call 911. It's amazing to me how here in the Scriptures, the text does not say, submit to men. Do you notice that in the text? What's it say? It says, submit to your husband. Submission is to take place within the covenant relationship of marriage. This submission to your husband, it's based upon the authority structure within the home. If you look look at the text, verse 23 It's because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now the church is under the authority of Christ. He is the head. Not a pope, not a pastor, not a leadership team. Jesus is the head of the church. So just as Jesus is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. Now, as the church submits to Christ, verse 24, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. See, just as the church of Jesus Christ gladly submits to his leadership, so too are wives to gladly submit to follow under the leadership of her husband. Now, the world that we live in mocks submission in headship. Maybe even for those of you in this room or for those of you who are watching online, verses 22 through 24, it makes you bristle in your seats. But the question that you must answer is, will I submit to the Bible? You see, God's word is your final authority as a believer. And the question is, will you gladly, joyfully, willingly come underneath his word or will you reject it for the desires of your flesh? St. Augustine said it like this, if you believe what you like in the gospel and you reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe but yourself. You see, submission is a beautiful act that brings glory to God. But you know one of the things I love about the Lord? God never asks you to do something that he himself hasn't already done. We see in the person and work of Jesus who submits to his father. We see Jesus who humbles himself, remaining fully God and yet takes on human flesh. And in his humanity, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when Jesus was hours away from suffering for the sins of the world upon the cross, he's bowed in the garden of Gethsemane and he's crying out to his father that he would be delivered from this cup of wrath that he was about to drink dry. And yet he prayed, not what I will, but what you will be done. There is submission within Jesus and we see how he does that in his relationship with the father. You see, a wife reflects Jesus when she submits to her husband in everything. She follows his leadership even when she prefers or desires another way. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't wanna go to the cross he knew the suffering that would come. That's why he's like, Lord, if it's possible to let this suffering pass from me, please. Yet not what I will, but what you, what you want. We see the Son of God who submits to the will of God the Father, and he gladly and joyfully submits all the way to the cross. You see, when a A wife submits to the will of her husband. She is mirroring the submission of Jesus to his father. And she is pointing to verse 24, how the church submits to Christ. Now, wives, there is danger in allowing other things to come in between your relationship with your husband. There's danger I want to kind of point out for you. One of those dangers that you might face is children. Children are a blessing from the Lord. They are wonderful gifts. They are to be loved and they are to be treasured and raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And yet, wives, we cannot allow them to have a first priority within the family. Because eventually, they leave. At least I hope they do at some point, okay? But there's a sense in which, although children are a wonderful gift, they're not ultimate. The marriage relationship must come before children. think something else you've got to keep in mind is that children have to come before housework although it's good and it's right to clean and to organize and to run your home well we can't allow our requirements and things we have to do around the house to get in the way of our marriage relationship but I think there's one more that's even more significant that we have to keep an eye on and it's this it's your phone You see, it's allowing too much time to just stare at this little thing that seems to control so many people within our culture. You see, the danger of constantly staring at this thing, playing the social media game, is that it can lead you to play the comparison game. And if you play the comparison game, you will always lose. Because here's what's going to happen. You compare yourself to someone and you think, man, we are so much better than them. I have better hashtags. We're much more attractive. We have better clothes. We look like we got it all together. All of a sudden, what do you got? You got arrogance. Or you play the comparison game and you're like, man, they are not nearly as good at this as we are. Uh, Or, or, I'm sorry, the opposite side is, man, like, look at them. They got it all together. They have nicer clothes. She has a nicer body. They have a better house. They have much more obedient Kids, she has better, what? That's now self-pity. So you have arrogance and self-pity that are in play here when you play the comparison game. So that's the danger that you face. And I think also for us as a culture, we become so focused on looking down, like we miss what's around us. When I'll go speak at summer camp, I'll hang out with teenagers for a week and they're walking around literally just doing this, like the whole time. And I'm like, hey guys, this is crazy. But you know those, like, those blurry things that are around you when you're looking down? Those are people. Okay, look up, make eye contact, articulate a word, enunciate. Let's communicate with one another. I think it's a danger that can come in between your relationship with your spouse if you find yourself constantly looking down and trying to compare yourself with other people. This is not just true for wives, but it's also true for husbands. If we looked at our spouses as much as we looked at our phones, our marriages would be a lot healthier. So don't allow that thing to take root in your heart. Don't allow it to become an idol in your life. It's a tool, but it's not ultimate. You see, wives, you glorify God and you display the gospel when you joyfully, gladly, humbly submit to the leadership of your husband. But then in verse 25, we see a pivot. Paul switches gears and he gives three times more ink speaking to husbands. So husbands, how do you glorify God and display his gospel? I want you to see number two, husbands, humbly love your wives. Look at verse 25. Paul says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The command to the husband is to love his wife. Now in ancient culture that Paul's writing to, husbands did not always love their wives. Wives were the property of their husband. He was to rule over her. He was to dominate her. She belonged to him. She had few rights or privileges. So for the original audience that Paul's writing to, the command to love here, this is countercultural You see, God's design for marriage is drastically different than the world's. That word for love, verse 25, it's a verb. It's an action word. It's the word that means selfless and sacrificial love. It's the same word for love used in John 3 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The kind of love that a husband is to have for his wife is the same love that Jesus has for his bride, the church. It's a love that says, It's you first. I'm going to put your needs before mine, your ones before mine. I'm going to be selfless and sacrificial to the point that I I'm gonna love you by putting you before myself. Why? Because that's what Jesus has done for his bride, the church, and he's done so through his death on the cross. The cross is the perfect demonstration for the type of love that a husband is to have for his wife. Husbands, feel the weight of this word. You see, Christ's love for his church is the standard by which a husband is to love his wife. Now it is good, it is Christ honoring to lay your life down for your bride. Yes and amen, but this kind of love is not just a heroic kind of love, it's a kind of love that gets messy. This kind of love washes feet. In John 13, Jesus gathers his disciples in the upper room. They eat the Passover meal and he wraps a towel around his waist and he bows down low. And he begins washing the feet of his disciples, even the one who would betray him. Jesus is displaying what love looks like. He says, you wanna know what leadership looks like? It looks like getting low and washing feet. It means getting ready to serve others and put their needs before your own. Now this task that Jesus is doing in John 13 is a task that was reserved for servants. Not the high king of heaven, the one to which every knee will one day bow, Here he is bowing low and he's washing feet. Husbands, this is what love looks like. This is what leadership looks like. It's when you get low and you serve and you put the needs and the desires of your spouse before your own. This is the kind of love that puts down the remotes. It takes out the trash. It bathes the kids. It changes diapers. It carries the weight of responsibility for the family. This is the kind of love that sets the tone for the kind of culture within your household. It casts vision for the good of those who are under your care. It's the kind of love that wrestles kids on the floor and comforts your wife as she shares with you her troubles. This is the kind of love that comes home from work and asks How can I serve you? And with a good attitude, you roll up your sleeves and you shoulder the burden. You get messy, you serve. Your task is to make your wife's job as easy as possible. This is what servant leadership looks like. This is what manhood looks like in which you're willing to serve your bride. This is Christ, served the church by giving his life for her and by getting low and washing feet. This is what it looks like to model the gospel. You see, husbands, if Jesus washed feet, then we can wash dishes. We can get dirty and smelly and do the nasty things and we can wash and we can labor for the good of our bride because that is what Jesus did for us in the gospel. Jesus gave his life for his bride, the church. Why did he do this? Well, one of the reasons is verse 26. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Church, we have been made holy. We have been washed, we have been sanctified with the water of the word. The moment you believe the gospel, whether you were age six or age 96, when you trusted in Christ, you were washed. You were transformed by the gospel. You were made pure and holy by Jesus. And as a believer, you are positionally pure and you are growing practically in purity. How do we do this? We do it through the word. By you reading the Bible, you sit under the preaching of the word. You sit under the teaching of the word. And as you do, the Bible washes you. It grows you in purity and in holiness. Well, husbands, just as Jesus washed his bride with the word, so too are we to do the same. We set the temperature for spiritual growth in the home, and that's incumbent upon us, and we do it with the Word of God. Isn't it interesting? In John 17, Jesus prayed for his future disciples, and he prayed in John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Jesus connects sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ, being holy and pure, blameless, washed with the word. And so as the word comes from your lips, husbands, as you take time to open it and you bring it to bear under those under your care, God is using you to wash your bride and to help prepare her for that day when she stands before the Lord Jesus Notice in the text the reason Jesus gave his life. Another reason, verse 27. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. You see, all believers, we have been purified, you are being purified, and you will be purified. Jesus loved the church by laying his life down for her so that on that great wedding day when he gathers us to himself, we will be presented to him as holy and blameless. In Jude 24 and 25, I love how he says this. He says, now to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority, both now and forevermore. Amen. There's coming a day in which Jesus will present the bride of Christ to himself, pure and holy, blameless and righteous. We will be White as snow, we'll be with Christ, we'll be like Christ, we'll be in his presence. And it's a great day that's coming. Well, husbands, we labor for that day to one day present our bride to him. Say, Lord, I have labored for her good through my praying, through my protecting, through my providing, through my labor, through my encouragement, through the sacrifice of my selfish desires. I have labored so that on that great day, Lord, I want to present her to you as one who has been washed with the word and I've prepared her for this day so that she is more like Jesus. This is what we labor for. A day in which we say, Lord, I have given it my best. I've loved her in a way that she might know Christ and treasure him above all things. Well, Paul says, verse 28, in the same way. In the same way that Jesus has loved his bride, the church, husbands are to love their wives, watch this, as their own bodies. Okay, now this is interesting. Now, Paul has already talked about the type of love that we're to have, and it's sacrificial. Okay, the way that Christ loved his church. But now it's not only a sacrificial love, now it's a willing love. Just as we love and care for our bodies willingly, this is how we are to love our wives. When you're hungry, you eat. When you're thirsty, you drink. When you're tired, you sleep. When you hurt, you care for your body. Well, Paul is saying, verse 28, we are to love our wives as our own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Well, what does Paul mean by that? Well, husband and wife, we're no longer two, but one. He tells us that in verse 31 by quoting Genesis chapter two. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That word for joined, it means to be cemented together. You're glued together to form a bond that is stronger than the first. Well, husbands, when you sacrificially, willingly love your wife, when you lead her and protect her and provide for her, when you sacrifice yourself for her good, you are pointing to something bigger than yourself. You are pointing to verse 32, the profound mystery of Christ and the church. My wife and I, we are... We're a quirky bunch and um, throughout the week, we are talking theology with one another and sometimes I'll share with her where we're going with the sermon. I'll ask for her input. What do you see? What do you think? How does this hit you? And this week, she said something to me and I thought, ooh, that's rich. I gotta write that down. And here's what she said. She says, when I think about, when I think of laying down your life for someone, I think dying for them is the easy part. It is denying my desires My comfort and my selfish ambition for your good, that is hard. You see, for many of us, we remember that day in which we cupped our hands around the face of our bride and we looked her in the eyes and we said, "I I love you and I will die for you. I'll take a bullet for you. I'll jump in front of traffic for you. I'm gladly willing to give my all for you. But when it comes time to denying our pride, denying our selfishness, we don't do so well. In fact, there's a couple of things I see within our culture and even within men within our church that I'm, I'm concerned about that keep us from loving our wives the way that Christ is calling us to. The first is, is video games the way that so many wrap so many hours around this silliness of this. I've told my boys, you can't change the world playing video games. In fact, one of my great concerns is that this breeds laziness within the hearts of young men. Laziness is a danger that we as men have to do away with. It is hard to lead a wife. It is hard to build something. It is hard to create culture, and yet it brings glory to God. And if we find ourselves wasting so much time on things that really don't matter, you're gonna find that your marriage is not where it needs to be. I think something else that concerns me about many men is this. We wrap so much of our time around checking scores, seeing what's happening with those recruits that are hoping to come play for our team next year. You see, if you find yourself checking on base percentages more than you're checking your wife's heart, you're in trouble. Marriage is where we say no to this. I think another danger is pornography. It's when you allow your eyes to go after things that God has said is evil. And so we as men, we say no to those things because we're gonna follow hard after Jesus and we wanna honor him in our marriage relationship. I think there's another thing that often takes place in the hearts of men that keeps us and it's work. Work is a good thing. It brings glory to God. It's a way to provide for your family. It's a way to bring industry to serve through your commercial give, uh, gifts and talents and you're, you're serving the good of the community. Yes and amen. Amen. But if you are giving your best to your work and giving your family your leftovers, don't be surprised that your family is not in good shape. If you allow work to have higher priority than your marriage, be careful because you're allowing something that God has given to you as a good gift and you're making it ultimate. As men, we are to so shepherd our families in such a way that we don't allow these things to get in the way of loving and leading our wives well of loving her the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, if you love your wife like Christ loves the church, your wife won't mind submitting. Don't miss that. If you're loving your wife the way that Christ loves the church, she won't mind submitting. If you're a leader who says, I'm gonna wash your feet, I'm gonna care for you, I'm gonna protect you, I'm gonna make your job as easy as possible, she will follow you to the ends of the earth. You lead like Christ. It's amazing to see what God does in your marriage. And this is just leadership reality. If a leader demands loyalty, he's not a good leader. Husbands, if you're demanding for your wife to submit because the Bible says so, you've missed it. You've missed Paul's point. You see, if you have to demand loyalty, you're not a good leader. Great leaders lead, and people want to follow. I want to be a part of that. That is a man I will follow to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus was like. He never walked around demanding allegiance, devotion, saying, Follow me, because I said so. He doesn't do that. He leads. And people are like, I want to be a part of that. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. This is what leadership looks like within marriage. So, practically, how do we live this out? I've put these in your notes. It's the impact point. Tonight, after the kids are in bed, I want you to sit down to a bowl of ice cream. Why ice cream? Because it's my favorite. Okay? Christy likes chocolate chip cookies, so that's gonna be probably what she's gonna get tonight. But you sit down and you have a conversation. And I'm gonna implore you to use these three questions for each of you to ask. The first, wives... Ask your husband, how can I help in your leadership of our family? Number two, how can I show you more respect? And number three, how can I serve you better than I currently am? Now, these are going to lead to some very difficult answers. And we've got husbands, we'll get to you in just a minute. But it's going to require you to, to listen, to be humbled, To discover ways that you can become a more faithful, more effective, a better wife. These are hard answers to receive. Now, for some of you, you're in this room, so you're thinking, well, my husband, he's not a believer. My husband, he's not spiritual. He's not interested in these things. May I say to you, I wanna encourage you to still do this. Why? Because this is a fulfillment of 1 Peter 3.1, where you can win your uh, husband without even a word. You're learning how you can display with your life what the gospel looks like and that may be the means of reaching him with the gospel. So this is a, a, a practice that I think will serve your marriage well. Husbands, what about you? There's three questions that you're going to ask of your wife. How can my leadership look more like Jesus? Number two, how can I make it easier for you to follow me. And number three, how can I serve you better than I currently am? Notice that question three is the same for both wives and husbands. Why? Because within the marriage relationship, you're saying, how can I better serve you? How can I put your needs before mine? How can I display the gospel in this relationship by me meeting your needs before my own? You see, when a wife submits to her husband, she is saying, you first. When a husband loves his wife, he is saying to her, you first. And together, they are to say to Jesus, you first. They are displaying in their humility. They're displaying the gospel, what Christ looks like as a husband humbles himself and puts his wife before himself and he serves her the same way that Jesus served his bride, the church. And the wife gladly submits and she follows his lead and she's displaying the gospel and how Jesus gladly submitted to the will of the father and the two of them together, putting the other person first they're declaring Jesus, you first. It's about you. You see, it's in these relationships and it's in these roles of leading and following, submission and headship that we see the gospel on display. That God's word always leads to human flourishing. And here in the gospel, we see it displayed through a husband and a wife who says to the other, you first. And when you say from your heart and with your life, you first, it is there that the gospel is on display and God gets the glory.